For 25 years, partnering with donors and nonprofits and communities statewide to strengthen Maine through grants and scholarships. On the web at maincf.org. It's just a few seconds after 10 o'clock, and you are tuned to WERUFM 89.9 Blue Hill, 102.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. Talk of the Towns with host Ron Beard is up next. Good morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities, to share what works, to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is produced with support from Cooperative Extension, the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine with offices statewide. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine. And like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio, in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. Many of us are taking steps at home to go green to reduce, reuse, and recycle. We compost, we shun paper and plastic at the grocery store. We might even buy electricity from wind farms. But what's happening at the community level? Are whole towns taking action? Well, if you'll stay with us for the next hour, we'll find out some of those um, solutions that communities are are, uh, helping with as we go green. Um, In the studio with us, we have uh, Sharon Malm. Sharon is with the Bar Harbor Chamber of Commerce. Welcome to Talk of the Towns, Sharon. Thank you. And Leland Moore. Leland is a student at College Atlantic in Bar Harbor and um, is, is active in, in helping the town of Bar Harbor with a project that we'll talk about a little bit more in a, in a moment. Um, first of all, Sharon, what, what's the, the main function of the Bar Harbor Chamber of Commerce and how does it kind of intersect with, with uh, going green? The Bar Harbor Chamber of Commerce is a member organization made up of businesses in Bar Harbor, and our purpose is to promote Bar Harbor not only as a tourist destination, but also as a viable year-round community. And um, so our members um, help us to do marketing on behalf of Bar Harbor. And the Bar Harbor Chamber of Commerce has had a sustainable tourism committee since 2005, and it was started to host an eco-tourism conference in 2005. And that was really the start of our sustainability efforts, and that committee committee is, has been active all this time. And we've been working on different efforts uh, last year, kind of uh, – started with the 4th of July, the MDI Rotary's Seafood Festival has always been working towards sustainability, and so we partnered with them and College of the Atlantic to work on making a green 4th of July event, and we have other initiatives that we've been working on along the way and some goals for the future. Great. Leland, tell us a little bit about College of the Atlantic. Um, It's recently received lots of acclamation acclamation for its um, work in in greening their own campus, but also um, providing some leadership across the country. Definitely. Um, College of the Atlantic is a four-year NIESC-accredited school in Bar Harbor, Maine. Um, Our campus is on the coast. Uh, we We have one degree, which is in well, we have two degrees. We have one degree, which is in human ecology. Um, and what we try to do is, in everything the college does and everything um, we envision, we try to uh, work towards that idea of human ecology. Great. So um, we try to practice sustainability wherever possible and sort of go beyond that and see what we can do next or what 
what's ready um, or how we can reach out into the community and promote sustainability. Great. Well, we're going to come back to you in just a minute, but before that, we're going to talk with folks who um, uh, live and and, uh, are trying to make Cranberry Isles um, more sustainable. Welcome to Talk of the Towns to Barbara Fernald. Uh, Barbara is the um, moderator of the town meeting there, or did in this last year, and Amanda Ravenhill. Um, No, we just have two we, oh, oh, number two. That, never mind. We've got Barb Fernald on the line. Thank you. My engineer is giving me these signals. Barb, welcome to Talk of the Towns. Hi. Thanks, Ron. And I guess we aren't going to be able to get uh, Amanda on the line, uh, but so we'll, we'll, we'll uh, talk with you, Barb, and, and ask you a little bit about um, the most recent town meeting and, mm-hmm. and some things that led up to the town taking some um, new action around um, what's green. First of all, maybe you could describe Cranberry Isles for um, listeners who might not be familiar with with your community? Um, Cranberry Isles, oops, excuse me one sec. I had the VHF radio on and all of a sudden this show was coming across it. <laughs> um, Cranberry Isles is a town made up of five islands and two of them have year-round populations, Great Cranberry and Little Cranberry, also known as Islesford. And our town meeting um, goes between the two islands. One year it's on Great Cranberry, one year it's held on Islesford, and this year it was held on Islesford. Um, the populations in the wintertime are about oh, about 70 people on Islesford and about 40 to 45 on Great Cranberry. And in the summertime, we have summer populations on each island of 350 people and up, I would mm. say. Mm. And what, what was different about this town meeting? You, you were moderator, and, and a couple of initiatives came, came forward. Um, tell us about those initiatives. Well, the initiatives that came forward were um, to set up, I'm looking at my notes because I was hoping Amanda would be on to answer these, Um, but to, um, uh, excuse me, to have us join, our town join the U.S. Mayor's Climate Protection Agreement, Um, and we are the smallest town, I think, to become a member of that, and... um, I think like the 887th town in Maine, Great. perhaps to join that, and um, which means that we're just going to urge state and federal governments to enact policy programs that will um, help keep our town green, and you know look into supporting green projects. And another thing was another um, article was to oh raise ten thousand um, dollars to support green projects in the town. And this would be money that the, money that the selectmen would be able to grant to an individual or a group who was interested in enacting a community-wide green project. Mm. You know, if somebody had an idea for a project that would support, you know, a green greener community, they could approach the selectmen with the plan, and it would be voted on at a public meeting held by the selectmen. That's a pretty um, sizable amount of money for a small town. Um, I think it is. I think it's it's indicates that the town is interested in seeing us go forward um, in producing less of a carbon footprint in our town, and you know, trying to work towards sustainability like everybody is now. Um, where, where did these initiatives uh, come from? Is there an active ongoing committee? Is that is that the sustainability initiative, so yes. called? Yeah. Yep. Um, it was a group of people. I wasn't in on the beginning of it. It was um, Amanda Ravenhill and a couple other people on the island on Islesford had been talking a lot about you know how do you reduce your own carbon footprint? What could be done? Is there more we could do as a town? And they started in October 
the Isles for Sustainability Initiative, which then grew into the Cranberry Isles Sustainability mm. um, Initiative. And um, the meeting in October was sort of a brainstorming meeting of residents that were interested, and there were over 20 people there. So that's, you know, half the year-round community right, so. um, of Islesford. So people were interested, and a lot of ideas were thrown back and forth of things that we could do. Um, you know, things like like taking the ferry more, you know, making sure you take the ferry more often instead of using your own boat in the summertime. Um, you know, recycling, which everybody pretty much does on the island, um, just because that's how our trash is collected and how we've been able to cut back a little bit on so you really clearly see you know the, the the need to recycle because whatever you don't you get charged for right really right. clearly yeah mm-hmm. yeah and um, the third thing that um, came up as part of town meeting was to um, go to um, green um, energy is that right yes this was for the you know the town any of the town electric bills um, that you can go on to oh the main renewable energy website, and even though we still get power through Bangor Hydro, there are ways to sign up for power that's actually supplied not directly through green energy, um, you know, low-impact hydro mm-hmm. power or, or wind power, but um, you know, it's buying the power, I don't quite understand this, but it's buying the power that goes on the grid from a source that's renewable. Right. So basically you have that option. Um, but you also did this as an individual homeowner, did you not? Well, I did because at one of the, um, one of the first sustainability initiative meetings, um, people were saying, what could we commit to to have done for the next, to do for the next meeting? Mm. You know, what is a personal m- commitment you could make? And I knew other people who would switch to green power for their electric power. And, um, and so I decided to look into that option. Right. <laughs> Without telling my husband. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what was the reaction both from your husband but at, at town meeting? What, what did people talk about when, when this, this uh, ballot came up? Well, when people were talking about this, when this ballot came up, um, people didn't quite understand what it was. And as moderator, I, didn't, I don't usually say anything. You mm-hmm. know, I just try to keep track of who's got their hand raised and keep things moving. But I decided I'd step aside and just mention that, that we had done this on our own, and um, and that it's not that much more expensive. You know, I don't notice a big change in the in the electric bill. Um, and at that point, Bruce said, well, I didn't know anything about it. So he didn't know. I mean, he knew before town meeting, but it was represented in the paper that I let him know at the meeting. Ah, okay, okay. <laughs> so uh, w- was, it, was this a hotly um, contested that with these three initiatives that you voted on? Were this hotly contested, or did people generally understand and, and get behind them? I think people, people generally understood. I mean, there was some discussion, but I think it was, it was mostly favorable. Um, I think people already take a lot of um, steps to to do what they can themselves. I mean, out of necessity, if you're dragging groceries back and forth on the island, um, you know, it's a lot easier to take them in a canvas bag. So I would say a lot of the people who grocery shop from the island mm. already don't use plastic. Um, so I think there was support for it. Um, because the main renewable energy comes through a company called Main Interface Power and Light, it was actually... Some of the discussion was, is this, you know, something to do with religion? Is, mm. you know, I think mm. that was a big uh, misunderstanding, and, you know, it has, it has nothing to do with religion. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I mean, there was, 
maybe 15 minutes of discussion, and um, someone, Eve Harrison at one point, raised the point that, um, hey, we just voted in without this much discussion. We voted to put $2,000 towards repairing, you know, graves, the cemetery on Baker's Island, which is part of our town. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a bigger issue, and we're discussing this much over $2,000 to put towards, you know, getting our electric power through Mm. renewable energy. So... That kind of ended the discussion. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> People well, thought it was a good point. And, and um, places like Cranberry Isles and, and I'm sure the other um, inhabited offshore islands are struggling with all kinds of issues, um, just as, as um, our uh, guests here in the studio, uh, Sharon Malmtop, uh, kind of a, a year-round community. So you're, you're facing this on a number of different issues. Mm-hmm. And, and is there a, a sense of hopefulness um, around that question um, as, you, as, you, as you and your fellow islanders uh, talk about it? Oh, I think so. Mm. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think just by seeing how many people come together for the, oh, you know, the sustainability initiative meetings, mm-hmm. you know, when you don't have to, <laughs> just that they're well attended and, and so people are interested. Great. And at the recent, um, Amanda has also organized a buying club um, to buy from, oh, Crown of Maine. Uh-huh. Uh cooperative or Crown of Maine Co-op, right, a way right. to buy some food from a place in Maine, you know, that's organic, and yep. so it's not going to have to travel as far. Uh, and there were 17 people at that first ordering meeting on Tuesday this week. So that's wonderful. It's well supported, right? Yeah. And well, we've had we've had Jim Cook from Crown of Maine here on uh, Talk of the Towns in the past, and we know of his good work. Mm-hmm. Um, Amanda is actually um, working through the Island Institute, of the fellowship program. Is that right? Yes, she was hired in um, January as um, an Island Institute fellow. It's or in December. It's um, Island Institute and AmeriCorps work together. Uh-huh. And um, I know that she works, and she and maybe some of her friends work on a website called the Cranberry Isle Sustainability Initiative. So people are interested in finding out more. They can they can go online and and probably use their search engine to to look for that uh, site. Yep. There's there's a link if you look at Islesford.com, mm-hmm. which is our little island website. There's a link there um, to the um, to the Sustainability Initiative website, and also it's under Cranberry Isles, all one word. .wordpress.com. Great, great. Well, any advice that you would have for listeners who um, are living in other towns uh, about what they might do for um, sustainability issues? Um, gosh, I, <laughs> I think just start, start at the simplest personal level and, mm-hmm. and see what you can do. You know, what, what can you do to cut back on the plastic that you're using? And, you know, is, is there a time when you can just walk or ride your bike instead of taking your car to run a quick trip somewhere, you know, down to the store or whatever. So start personal, and then um, when it makes sense, um, take it to the community level. I guess so, yep. Great. Switch your power over. It wasn't that hard. That's great. <laughs> thanks so much for being with us, Barb, and, and give my best regards to Amanda when you're in, in contact with her. Okay, thanks, Ron. That was Barb Fernald. Barb is a uh, resident of the town of Cranberry Isles, and uh, this last year um, was the moderator at a town meeting when Cranberry Isles took um, three different initiatives to um, look at sustainability issues. Um, you can participate as well by calling one eight six six. 625-9378 or locally 469-0500. If you'd like to share what your town is doing, um, we'd love to have you participate in this morning's uh, program, which is focused on t- communities going green. Again, the phone number is one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. 
625-9378 or 469-0500. Give us a call if you'd like. Um, well, well, we're back in the studio now with um, Sharon Mom of the Bar Harbor Chamber of Commerce and Leland Moore of College of the Atlantic. Um, each institution on its own was uh, was working um, to look at sustainable issues, and you recently got together. Um, who wants to start? Where did the, where did the, where did the start um, come? Sharon? Well, actually, Craig Tenbrook, who's the Director of Sustainability for College of the Atlantic, is a member of our Sustainability, sustainability Tourism um, Committee. And through efforts that COA has been making, and Leland can address those more, mm-hmm. to, um, to eliminate their carbon footprint, um, Craig approached the Chamber of Commerce with the idea of doing a bulb exchange where member businesses could exchange their incandescent bulbs for complex compact fluorescent bulbs at no cost to members. And so a lot of um, a lot of the coordination of that program has been done by College of the Atlantic. And then we at our uh, office in Trenton, at our visitor center in Trenton, the businesses can come there in order to actually do the exchange or Leland and another student, Jordan, from College of the Atlantic, um, have been working with businesses in town to do the exchange program with them as well. So it was Craig who had approached the chamber um, to do that, and Leland can probably talk a little bit more about um, how it came about from the COA side. Mm. Leland? Um, Yeah, well, Jordan and I have um, both been interested in how COA uh, interacts with the community and the Bar Harbor community in regards to sustainability and building sort of green relationships, um, particularly with businesses. So when we heard um, about what Craig was doing with the chamber, we were naturally really interested. Um, And we went to Craig, and he was more than delighted to have us come with him. And we went to a couple of the meetings, and it was there that we decided that um, we wanted to work with Craig and the chamber uh, on the project for Greenlight. So... Mm. Uh, what we did was, I guess, we decided to um, manage the project or run it um, from, like, sort of coordinate where the bulbs were going and what was going on. Um, and sort of, be- I guess, we be- from then on, we became um, the COA end of the, uh, mm-hmm. of the project there. So, so, so tell us, again, um, many listeners probably have heard about compact fluorescent light bulbs but may not know why... Um, they're so significant. Leland, what, what, what are we gaining by switching um, to this form of, of lighting? Um, with a compact fluorescent light bulb, which, I mean, if anyone has seen it, uh, it, it looks like uh, a tube that is sort of uh, squiggled up, um, wrapping around itself. Um, and what it uses is it uses a gas to produce light instead of a, um, a heated filament. And this has two primary benefits, and they're interconnected, of course. Uh, one of them is that it uh, saves energy, and the other one doesn't produce as much heat. Hmm. Um, now, both of these have a profound impact on, I mean, just switching out one bulb is um, saving a lot of energy, and it's not not producing as much heat. Now, the heat isn't as, as important, but with the energy savings, you are... Um, you're changing a dynamic in a very large and uh, complicated, uh, I guess, would you call it like a a machine or an establishment in this country right Mm -hmm. now, which is the the energy um, industry and how how much we draw from them. And so that that also, that gives you financial savings and environmental savings because you're not asking 
for as much energy with these bulbs. Mm. Does that make Yeah, no, yeah, it does. Okay. It does. And so the individual um, homeowner can see a, a, a savings in terms of their bill, but what you're also saying is that the, the nation gets a real benefit by not having to produce. Um, exactly, right. yeah. Right. Which is very pertinent to, mm-hmm. to the, the time mm-hmm. that we're in. So We're going to come back to you, but we do have Amanda on the phone now, so we've reconnected with her. So I'm going to come back to your story in just a minute. But um, Amanda Ravenhill, welcome to Talk of the Towns this morning. Hi, Ron. And you're on a boat to Matinicus, as I understand it. Is that right? Yep, that's right. We're on the sunbeam. And and how's the weather out there? Oh, it's... Uh it's foggy. It's snowy. <laughs> okay. Well, you you may have heard that we did have a, a good conversation with Barb Fernald um, about what happened at the uh, town meeting. But maybe you can give us an understanding of, of what your role is as an island fellow and the, the committee that you've been working on in terms of sustainability on Cranberry Isles. All right. Well, um, the Island Institute and AmeriCorps uh, sponsor fellows out on the different islands. I'm sure people are aware of that. Um, and I got offered the, the Cranberry Isles Fellow in December and started in January to establish this, um, the Cranberry Isles Sustainability Initiative, mm-hmm. um, which started in October. I don't know if I didn't hear what Barb was saying. Right. So I she, don't know if she spoke about it at all. Just a little bit, yes. Okay. Um, so basically, we, we got together to answer these questions together of how we can reduce our impact and generate power and whatnot. Um, and since we've started, uh, since I started on the project in January, we've come up with a couple of studies that we're going to do, which is a, a energy audit study, which will give us an inventory of how we use energy uh, throughout the community, not just on the municipal level, but also as um, as residents and individuals. Um, so that'll be the inventory study, and then we're also going to do a study on energy capacity on generation. And the idea is that the results of those studies will inform a climate action plan or a cap for the town. And um, municipalities all over the nation are coming up with these cap uh, plans that set targets for greenhouse gas reduction and and just set out, you know, the plan for that for the action steps. So mm-hmm. that's what we're aiming to accomplish come um, come August. Great, and but you—it seems like you've really um, struck a chord with uh, residents of the Cranberry Isles. Um, people have been very receptive to thinking about these initiatives. Yes, yes. There's already a lot of things that people do uh, on the Cranberry Isles um, that we're working to get smarter about. You know, we we compost, and we already have a, a pretty good recycling program, and the municipal garage that we're building. We're trying to make it a, into a green building, and a lot of people use clotheslines. And, we have an annual beach cleanup, so we're already doing a lot of things. Um, people have gardens in their homes, and we use you know, bicycles to get around and whatnot. Um, so we were already kind of, you know, five steps ahead of, of regular, or not regular, but other communities. Um, if you look at a lot of, like, you know, top ten things you can do to reduce your carbon footprint, we were already doing a lot of it. So it's just it's just about getting smarter and doing it and, you know, putting our our powers combined and and uh, and being smarter and more productive. Great. And is it just a kind of a, r- a final question. Was there any um, hesitation to take um, these initiatives to the town meeting, or did that seem like a, a pretty logical step to you? Uh, it seemed like a pretty logical step. It was a good a good way to 
get people to know about the project um, in a different form. You know, it wasn't asking them to come to a meeting to talk about sustainability. It was people were going to come to the town meeting anyway. So we could have taken a lot of the steps without the voters' approval. You know, the selectmen could have just signed the, the mayor's protection agreement, um, or we could have just decided to sign up for clean power, you know, as um, at a selectmen's meeting. But we decided to take it to the town so that all the voters would have ownership of the project and, and feel empowered that the town was, you know, taking a stamp. Great. And, and any advice to um, listeners who might be thinking about similar actions in their in their communities? Um, there's a lot of resources on the Internet. Um, cool Cities is a campaign that we worked with that helps um, cities across the nation sign on the mayor's climate protection agreement. Um, and I've found a lot of, of resources through that site. Um, and and they can always contact me. I don't know if Barb gave our website address. Yes, she did, but you could give okay. it to her, us one more time, and then we'll let you go. All right. It's cranberryisles.wordpress.com. Great. Well, thanks so much for taking some time on your way to Matinicus, and we'll um, catch up with you another time and, and talk about some of the other things happening out on Cranberry Isles. All right. Thanks, John. Thank you very much. Amanda uh, Ravenhill of the Cranberry Isle Sustainability Initiative. And we're back in the studio. We're talking with Leland Moore of College of the Atlantic and Sharon Mom of Bar Harbor Chamber of Commerce. You can participate as well by giving us a call at one 625 or locally 469-0500. If you've got a comment or a question for our guests in the studio or have some ideas about how communities can go green, give us a call at those numbers, one 625 So we were talking about the benefits of, of uh, uh, green light bulbs, uh, compact fluorescent um, light bulbs. What's been the, the reaction to businesses, um, Sharon? How, how have people received this idea of switching over from incandescent to these compact fluorescent bulbs? Well, I think the response has been quite favorable because, um, especially because the college has an, allowed us to provide these bulbs in exchange at no cost to the members. And they retail for about $3 on the market. So they're not having to first pay out the money to purchase the bulb, and then they're going to see the direct benefits to their electricity bill from having switched them out and so they, it's it's a win-win situation for everybody mm, mm. and Leland you're taking advantage of uh, buying in bulk and, and so on to get um, these these bulbs what's the college's investment in this kind of thing any rough figures around that um, I don't have any rough figures for the college's investment but it, there's definitely uh, a very important investment in, in our community that um, we are that we're achieving through this this program, mm-hmm. and what, that's what's really important to us right now is that we provide a, a means for our community to work with the college and um, sort of build build greater relationships over time. Mm. So, how does it actually work? People sign up, and then um, Leland comes in with a bunch of bulbs. Is that <laughs> <laughs> well? Because we want to make sure that people are actually putting the complex compact fluorescent bulbs in once they take them they do have to bring their incandescent bulbs and they can either bring them to the 
uh, visitor center in Trenton. We had set up some times in town at the YW at the YMCA mm-hmm. so that people could take them there. And then there's also they can actually set up a one-on-one appointment where Leland and Jordan, the other student, mm-hmm. can actually go to the business and do the exchange because we want to make sure that they're going to be not sitting on a shelf right. but put in right, right away, and the impact is going to be felt immediately. So they bring their bulbs to the office, we have them sign an agreement that Mm -hmm. says that, yes, I will put them in right away because COA does have to track the impact on the environment for their purposes. So they they sign the agreement that says, yes, they will do that. And they each business can exchange up to 25 bulbs. And okay. some have used the full 25, some haven't, depending on the size of their facility or if they've... A lot of the businesses actually in Bar Harbor have already been making strides in order to make themselves green, some of the restaurants and lodging facilities, because there's a state program that allows people to be certified green. And we have several member businesses that have already already done that and have already started doing these types of things. So not every business has needed to take advantage of it. Those that um, haven't really kind of started or just brand new are able to take advantage of this. And then we're also putting together some packets of information um, for both lodging, restaurant, and in general on how people can take efforts to be more green. Great. So um, what kinds of businesses have signed up so far? Everything? Oh, yes, everything. We have had uh, restaurants. We've had B&Bs. We've had uh, people who just rent their home. Um, we've had a church. Uh, we've had a village improvement society. So lots of different businesses who are members have been able to take advantage of this program. Great. Well, let's take a phone call right now. You could participate as well by giving us a call at one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. But go ahead with your question or comment, please. Yeah, good morning. Um, Dave calling from Ellsworth. I've been curious about this, but I haven't been able to get an answer. Um, I've always wondered, I'm not an engineer, I've always wondered how much extra carbon or how much extra energy does it take to obtain the materials to build these bulbs? How much extra energy does it take to manufacture them? And how much extra energy does it take to dispose of them? And I've never, I, I have no idea because I'm not an industrial engineer or anything like that. Does is, is anybody know anything about that? Well, we'll see if Leland has any answers to that, but those are great and, questions. And, and the other thing is who covers the cost, because I think most insurance companies don't cover the cost of cleaning up toxic waste. So mm. that, that was the question I had. Okay. Okay, so thank you. Thank you very much for your call, one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. 625 A caller is asking about the, the full cost of any of these kinds of changes in technology. Leland, any response to um, that? The carbon cost? I believe that the manufacturing cost, um, carbon-wise, is rather is insignificant with these compared to um, the savings that they, they get from um, reducing your energy. What I'm saying is that the the reduction of energy or the energy savings that you're getting from the bulbs from having these bulbs will um, kind of offset. It will offset. I don't want to use offset because we use that okay, so often. Okay. Okay. Right. It will offset your. <laughs> Your, your the offset, other, kind of, basically. Okay. And um, the caller has also asked about um, possible disposal and um, what happens um, if, if you break a bulb. There's been a lot of, of uh, press about that. Um, what are you advising people when, when they're taking these bulbs into their establishments? What are you advising them about the, the cost of disposal? or, or Disposal? <laughs> um, in Bar Harbor, we are advising businesses to go to um, Parity's Hardware Store or McCachran's. Um, both of these businesses have offered to um, take compact fluorescent bulbs even if they um, 
even if they didn't purchase them there. So we're uh, really excited about that, and that's at no cost to the people that bring them in. So uh, those CFLs will be recycled. Um, also, with the incandescents that we're gathering at the college, we're um, storing those, and we're planning to recycle those in the future as well at no co additional cost. Okay. The so there's, there may be, the, the caller is saying, what's the overall cost? Um, what you're saying is that there's no um, upfront cost for the businesses to make these yeah, changes. Yeah. And um, probably it, it would take a study, or maybe someone has done that study. Maybe there's a listener out there that does know the answer to the, the overall uh, picture. of. Uh, but we, we clearly know that they're saving electrical energy. We know that they're saving electrical energy, and we're trying to save as much materials as possible by recycling everything we can. Mm -hmm. Great. And, and um, again, the response has been good, uh, Sharon. People are excited about these things? Yes. Um, the, the response has been favorable. And it has also led us to think about other initiatives that we would like to do in order to help Bar Harbor be more sustainable. I've already mentioned our sustainability efforts for the 4th of July and all the events that happened that day. And we're also looking at the possibility of really bumping up recycling in the town of Bar Harbor itself and have recycling bins for bottles and cans around town, which currently don't exist. Mm. Well, the, the idea for a green 4th of July must have come again from College Atlantic, which has been celebrating green graduations. Um, Leland, have you been around to see um, what happens at graduation time? I have been around to see what happens at graduation time. I'm really impressed by some of the like the innovative and new environmentally friendly technologies we use. Of course, we we have like a solid foundation of old, old tried and true uh, ways like um, recycling and you know composting of food. We've also um, dedicated a portion of our budget to buying compostable uh, plates and you know and silverware. So. Mm -hmm really interesting to me as well Great. make a uh, an actually a carbon zero carbon graduation which that's, is really really exciting yeah. so th then that kind of rubs off into the community sharon right and uh, again i had mentioned the seafood festival and the pancake breakfast that mdi rotary puts on the ball field um for the fourth of july it started there too. They mm -hmm. made efforts to have all, everything that they could possibly have composted mm. all of the seafood waste and so we took their initiative and ex decided to expand on it. So we purchased compostable utensils made out of potato for them for this past 4th of July. We also purchased tote bags. We created a logo for our 4th of July and used recyclable tote bags to help eliminate the number of plastic and paper bags that are used at the store so people can take these to the store. And and so, and so we believe that we, we were the first town to ever really kind of mm -hmm. work on this. Our 4th of July celebration is well known and we have a lot of events that happen that day it brings a lot of people to town so we were trying to figure out a way to offset the additional cars that come onto the island and things like that and really work to try and and make the fourth of july a sustainable day great we've got some calls um why don't we go ahead and take a couple of those and and then we might have another guest on the line as well but let's take a, a couple of calls go ahead with your question or comment oh, oh we only have one call now we have our guest We'll go to our guest now. Bob Shafta was with us with the Maine um, uh, Association of Conservation Commissions. Um, welcome to Talk of the Towns, Bob. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about uh, conservation commissions. Most towns um, have them, um, but they not, may not be all that well known. Tell us about the, the origins of a conservation commission and how they kind of relate to Maine communities. Well, they really started back in the late 1960s uh, when the legislature passed uh, legislation authorizing towns to have conservation commissions. 
some of your listeners may remember those days, uh, proposals for oil refineries on the coast, Dickey Lincoln Dam, the uh, Ralph Nader report on the paper plantation, uh, mm. the formation of MAFCA in the main times. Uh, it was a heady period for environmental sort of consciousness in Maine, where really a lot of this started. And conservation commissions were created, I think, with uh, great enthusiasm back then, with the assumption that, you know, towns have a role in this process as well. It's not just stuff that you do at the state level. You've got to get the ground. You've got to get to where people live. And uh, conservation commissions would be the voice in communities for that. And particularly around land conservation, if you read the, or, the uh, authorizing statute, it, it talks a lot about land conservation. But over the years, what happened is, it's hard for towns to do land conservation. There's a lot of suspicion about government being interested in your land. It's difficult to do land deals in public, and towns have to operate, of course, with uh, transparency. So land trusts came along in the early 1980s and largely superseded conservation commissions in many parts of Maine because they were much better at doing land deals. Uh, they could work privately. They could raise private money. And uh, many towns just sort of let their conservation commissions go and allowed the sort of the land trust to be the de facto commission. There's a resurgence now, though. There's a growing interest again in what's the municipal role in conservation? What, what role do towns play? You know, we've heard a lot about Maine's quality places in the Brookings Report. Well, those aren't just in the great north woods or offshore on the islands. Uh, every Maine town has quality places. And... Uh, how do you get towns to focus in on, on their role in protecting this uh, unique environment we have here? And, and tell us about the operation of a, uh, if there is a typical uh, conservation commission, how does it actually um, work? Are those appointed positions? They are. Okay. Yep. Uh, most often commissions will have five to seven members. They're appointed by the selectmen of the town council. And that's one of the ways they're different than land trusts. They, do, they are an arm of the town. They can act in a way that uh, if, they, if they organize themselves well to really speak for a town in a way a private land trust can't. And um, so working together, a, good, a conservation commissioner and a land trust can do a lot more together than they might independently or individually. And so you've, you've just recently announced a pilot project that would um, stimulate more town um, action around preserving wildlife and other uh, significant habitat, open space. Um, tell us a about how that initiative came about. Well, it's funny. In Maine, we don't have much of a tradition of land uh, acquisition and protection at the municipal level. Other New England states do, particularly New Hampshire, which is a very active in uh, towns. I believe I read somewhere recently 64 towns in New Hampshire have uh, collectively raised or bonded uh, something like $97 million to protect land and their communities, all done at the municipal level. Mm. They don't have a land for New Hampshire's future, fund, uh -huh. for example. So in Maine, we've taken a more state-centric approach to that. But as we've seen with the state budget, there are real limits to that, and the land's going a lot faster than uh, people can protect it, particularly in the coastal communities and in southern Maine, which is where most conservation commissions are now and where you have the most pressure on land and therefore people who are most concerned about losing these uh, quality places. And uh, towns have uh, taken action when their water supply might be threatened um, or whether in, on the coastal area or inland areas where they want access to um, water bodies, but you're suggesting there's a broader purpose. What are some of the reasons that towns might um, uh, purchase land on their own um, to protect wildlife habitat or, or other resources like that? 
Well, the term that you hear most when you read an open space plan in many main communities is the word rural character, mm. towns wanting to preserve their rural character. Sort of a hard thing to define, but it does mean, you know, you don't have rural character without extensive green spaces. Uh, wildlife habitat is increasingly a concern uh, in protecting habitat. As habitat gets fragmented, um, the, the particularly bird species uh, really are at risk because of the introduction of predators into what used to be expansive open spaces, now much more limited. For example, when's the last time you heard a whippoorwill? You know, mm. Down in this part of Maine, it's been 10 years since I've heard one. I used to have them nesting on my property. Mm. And that's largely because of the fragmentation of habitat and the loss of habitat. So that's a big factor. But recreation is another one. <clears throat> um, you know, what does it mean to live in Maine? Um, I think people are worried about losing that, that opportunities that we have for being able to go out and take a hike or do birding or snowmobiling or cross-country skiing, having land readily accessible to do that on. And that land is rapidly disappearing in much of Maine. Mm. And that's raising the concern. Mm -hmm. So how will, will the, the pilot project actually work? Um, you've got um, some assistance from Marcel Pollack, who's a long-time kind of activist in these arenas. He is, yeah. <coughs> Tell us a little bit about the project itself. Well, what we're interested in doing is working with towns who are ready to step up and say, you know, we have a role in protecting um, open space in our part of Maine and our community. And we can't wait for the land for Maine future, as valuable as that is and has been. It's just not going to be enough money or enough support to do this, and time is running out. So we need to educate ourselves about what are ways that we can raise money for land protection. Uh, grants, you know, land for Maine future grants certainly are a source, but many towns, York most recently, um, um, has appropriated a half a million dollars, or they're in the process of appropriating a half a billion dollars for a land acquisition project and going to bond in the future uh, to raise some money, larger money that will be paid out over time. Uh, Falmouth just raised five, or appropriated $5 million of tax money. Brunswick appropriated a million dollars. Hollis appropriated $250,000 for a piece of land people have used for generations that got bought up by a developer and the developer agreed to sell it back to the town, but they had to raise the money to do that. So people are, uh, again, becoming aware of, we don't have a very big window of opportunity here to protect these, these uh, important places, and we're going to have to step up and do it for the sake of future generations. And, you know, the, the question we asked in Falmouth was, what do we want it to look like 100 years from now? And mm. we worked back from that. Mm -hmm. And people were unanimous about we don't want it to be just built out and look like a suburb of uh, northern Jersey or Massachusetts and Boston area. So, again, um, how, will the, how will the town benefit from uh, participating in the pilot project? What will you actually uh, be able to provide, you or Marcel, uh, be able to provide to a town that's interested in acquiring um, land for various conservation purposes? Well, first, a lot of information about where the valuable habitat land is in their town, working with uh, the beginning with Habitat Program in Augusta, um, what the various instruments are, what the various options are, and there are many around how do you raise money and to either acquire or to obtain easements on these properties. Again, working with the land trusts uh, and working with the town. What, um, how do you um, sell this idea to citizens? How do you mobilize people and public opinion in a way that will favor passage of uh, such a, an appropriation or a bond issue? 
And by the way, when they get on the ballot, they, the pass rate is very high uh, for most of these initiatives in New England. Uh, it's getting them on the ballot. That's often the hardest part. Uh, so providing people help sort of with the political process of how do you get uh, you know, a diverse group of people in your community to support this idea? What do you need to do to get people informed and to get, to get uh, backing for it? How do you work with your selectmen or your town council? And, um, <clears throat> and once there's a campaign underway, sort of helping with strategy about you know, what, what you can do to bolster the vote and increase the chances of success. Mm. How would people uh, contact um, you or Marcel to, to learn more about it and, and, and become engaged in this project? Well, you could go to our website, which is meacc.net. MEAC.net, okay. and there's uh, uh, some information there about it and also a way to contact us. So if there's a community that is interested, uh, we'd certainly like to talk with you. Great, and uh, would that community have to have a conservation commission in place to, to do so? It does no. not. But it turns out if you don't have a, either an active land trust or a conservation commission, and if you don't have any kind of plan in place, um, <clears throat> it's very difficult to find a handhold. You, mm. know, you really yep. have to go back at the beginning, and uh, we're not in the business of helping towns do open space plans. We're looking for towns that have already sort of thought about this and have some kind of plan in place, maybe in their comprehensive plan or as a separate open space plan. They know where their priority lands are. They, uh, they've got a little bit of a head start in terms of getting going, and they have some structure in town, mm. um, usually the Conservation Commission, but not always, that uh, can sort of take charge of moving an idea like this forward. And I, I assume if there are listeners here um, in communities that don't have... and some others up there that uh, have let their conservation commissions sort of die out in the 80s who are now talking about restarting it. So one of the things we're in business to do is help people with that process, and we'd be happy to hear from anyone who might want to take a leadership role in that. Great. And again, your website is meacc.net. Yes, it is. Great. Bob Shafto, thanks for being with us here on Talk of the Towns. Thanks for having me. Bob Shafto is the um, executive director of the Maine Association of uh, Conservation Commissions here in Maine. Again, their website is meacc.net. We welcome your phone call as we talk about communities going green here this morning on Talk of the Towns, 1-866-625-9378 or locally at 469-0500. Any calls at this point? We do have a call. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Oh, hi. This is Peter and Brooks. Um... Getting back to what towns can do, like directly, for example, in the area of recycling, the New Forest Institute here in Brooks has proposed to um, our town to examine what's in one of our uh, bins at the transit station. We spend over $30,000 a year to perk to handle this material. Probably half of it is uh, watered... uh, organic waste that could be recycled. So we would save a huge amount of money. Uh, we would be producing fertile compost soil, and um, we could 
easily perhaps uh, do this for, for homeowners using the uh, biodegradable bags that uh, you spoke of on a, a recent show. Um, and uh, another point about, uh, you mentioned the bulbs. Um, I use LED bulbs or clusters of LEDs. You can get them in different colors. Um, each one is one watt. Compact mm. fluorescents are 13, and it puts out about the amount of light of a 40 or 50 watt incandescent. They cost 20 to $30, but and I've banged them, and they don't break um, mm. too easily. And, and so that's, you know, another uh, way. And that's an example of some, a point I'd like to quickly make, um, that engineering, along with education and political will, um, is, is something that's absent from the conversation. Often people talk about, oh, alternatives are very nice, but they're not enough. Mm-hmm. They're not enough for allow us to live the way we do now. Conservation is a, a way to go, but again, it's just tweaking down how we do things now. And uh, lifestyle changes is not a real easy sell. Um, you know, we certainly could... Um, modify our, our, our consumptive lifestyles appropriately, but, you know, I don't think it's appropriate to become Luddites. You know, we want to live a modern life moving forward. And it, and it comes down to, I feel, uh, redesigning how we mm. do things to do them differently, hugely, perhaps out of sight, outside the box, uh, generally almost uh, incomprehensible, but... Um, I've just recently built um, uh, a little dwelling that's zero carbon, and it's just given me an opportunity to look at how I do different things and just um, be creative. And now the design criteria with which how we uh, figured out how to do almost everything in our culture didn't consider uh, materials or energy in the creation, production, transportation use, or, or uh, disposing of, of a- almost everything. Right. And, and we can't wrap our minds around that, but it's, but it's a huge, um, I mean, maybe even the greatest opportunity to move forward in, in security for our culture. So that's just what I'd like to add today, and thank you so much. Well, thank you, and good luck with the rest of your work at the New Forest Institute. Thanks. We'll, we'll have you on again at some point. Bye. I do believe we have some other calls. Go ahead with your question and comment, please. Excuse me? Yes, go ahead, please. I can go ahead with my comment? Yes, please. Okay, this is Debbie Black from Rockland, and I haven't listened to the whole program, so I very well may be um, repeating some things that have already been said here. Um, I'm concerned about the CFLs and the impact on the environment. Um, We worked really hard to get mercury out of our thermostats and out of our thermometers and out of our vaccinations, and there are really strong groups who feel that their children have been poisoned by mercury. Um, One of the groups that comes to mind is Defeat Autism Now. And I think that there's a a, a large concern here that we're just um, having a a bigger negative impact on the environment than we realize. And I suppose an example of that would be um, recalling the cornstarch bags that we started using at one point and then understood that that the uh, impact was um, uh, too large on, on the environment. And um, also, I don't know whether anyone's talking about the fact that fluorescent lights have a buzz to them, 
And that buzz is something that impacts um, people with autism negatively. They have sound negatively. They have sound intolerances. And the idea that we all might have no choice at some point but to use these bulbs is, is deeply concerning to me. Also, I don't even know if fluorescent uh, bulbs still flicker, but the flickering is something that not only people with autism can't tolerate, but also people with epilepsy um, are thrown into seizures as a result of fluorescent lights and, and in the past have needed to make sure that they didn't have those in their environment. And, and I think we need to move forward with the assumption that many, many of these bulbs will simply not be recycled and that we will be adding those to uh, the environment, the mercury that's in those bulbs. So I, I myself would have, have made a, a, a choice to take all of those bulbs that I was putting into my house out of my home. So I no longer have CFLs in my house and don't consider them an, uh, uh, a safe alternative. And this is after speaking with many people across the country who are also have these same concerns about the mercury that's in the bulbs. Okay. Well, thanks. And, and uh, so your, your choice is to continue with incandescent at this point. Absolutely. Okay. Good. Well, thanks for your call and for those perspectives. Okay. We have a, one more call, I believe. No, we're all set. Leland, any, any response? You must have heard these kinds of concerns come to you before as yeah. you've talked about um, the choice um, that uh, you've provided for, for businesses in, in Bar Harbor. Definitely. Um, uh, there's, let's see. Let's see what we want to address first. Um, well, certainly when you're using incandescent bulbs, you're, act well, you're using more energy, and energy is produced in a large part by plants, and these plants generate a lot of mercury into the air. Mm. So, in fact, when you are thinking that you're using a low mercury option like an incandescent bulb, you, are, you may actually be using more uh, mercury than you um, thought you were going to use in the first place. Mm. Um, with, then I want to address the issue of uh, mercury in compact fluorescent bulbs, um, and that I want to note that the amount in the CFL is a, uh, a very minimal amount. Uh, you, as I said before, you probably you, there's um, a, a whole lot more is produced by these power plants. There's probably more in your your tuna fish that you eat, and more in your body than is in the light bulb. Um, if you eat tuna fish, of course, and um, and that the college um, understanding these things and understanding that mercury is is still a um, is still a, a hazardous material, and it, it, it is mercury. Um, we, we have chosen to go with the lowest possible mercury bulbs that we could find, and what we found here is we use the Earthmate bulbs, which have a 75% less mercury in them than normal compact fluorescent bulbs. To address the issue of flickering, um, uh, as the as time goes on and as technology advances, we found that. Um, CFLs are, are no longer what they were. They're no longer those buzzing, flickering, um, awful tube lights that you used to, I don't know, see in your school or your, your factory or you know, any of those places. And They've become a lot more pleasant. They have a lot more options. Um, the college and the chamber are even offering the three different watt varieties. We have um, our three different basic brightnesses for our bulbs. Um, and if you wanted to, you could go out and purchase, like, um, broad spectrum bulbs or dimmable CFLs, and all of these, I've se I haven't seen any of the problems of um, flickering. I haven't had uh, heard any complaints about 
um, headaches or anything from flickering or mm. any noise complaints from buzzing. Mm. Um, well, I think the bulbs. caller is saying that all of these issues, like the, the caller before, we, we don't have necessarily the, the whole picture we'd like to have when we make decisions. Oh, and, oh definitely, right. definitely. And that's, that's a totally human ecological thing that's to consider. Right. I mean, right. ev- with everything we do, there's always something else counteracting that and acting upon that. And um, we, we, we could definitely consider these when making our decisions to get to um, distribute these bulbs. Great. I'm going to come back to you for some concluding remarks, but I think we have time for one more phone call. Um, go ahead with your question or comment, please. Yes, you're on Talk of the Towns. Go ahead. Well, hi, it's John in Unity. And okay. It occurs to me that the best way to make sure all of those bulbs get uh, recycled is the same way we recycle car batteries and anything else we want returned. Put a big deposit on it. Mm-hmm. Um, $5 ought to get people bringing them back. Um, and if $5 doesn't, 10 ought to work better. <laughs> um, we've been using compact fluorescents here for quite some time. And while they don't come on instantly, um, always like, a, like an incandescent bulb, there is no flicker, uh, no hum, and we've been quite happy with it. Great. And, and the idea of um, the, the businesses in the town of Bar Harbor, for instance, who are willing to take these for recycling purposes, that goes some ways to answering those questions. But your idea of a deposit, certainly um, when we look at other forms of, of the carrot and the stick, um, that, that's a good idea. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for your call this All morning right. from Unity. Yeah. Well, let's, let's come back to our guests in the studio, Sharon Malm, uh, Bar Harbor Chamber of Commerce, and Leland Moore of College Atlantic. Um, you've mentioned some ongoing initiatives. Uh, uh, Sharon, what else is in, in store for people who are thinking about the, the sustainability of, of businesses and, and a community? Yeah, I think um, several of the next steps that the Sustainable Tourism Committee has kind of pinpointed as part of our kind of five-year strategic plan. One is, um, I had mentioned just briefly before, about putting together kind of a manual or a guide to get out into the community for businesses to learn where they can go, what resources are available, um, a little bit more about the state programs that are out there so they can work, continue to work on making their own businesses sustainable. And then we also want to really kind of make a concerted effort in the town itself to really get a good recycling program in place in the town of Bar Harbor um, and particularly around the 4th of July to continue to Mm. grow that event and really to, to let people know that Bar Harbor is a green destination um, and a, a green community. Right. Leland, what, what else is in store at College of Atlantic? I understand that there are new, new um, student housing projects coming online. Um, That's right. To, and I, I remember you giving a tour of those. So tell us about some of the features in, the, in those new buildings. Um, the college is really proud that we are um, working with the trustees and working with numerous different people and uh, the architects. Um, uh, and uh, anyway, so I mean, there's so many different people com- involved. We've yeah. got these, these um, we're building these new student housing, and we're trying to go beyond the current green standards with them. We're not applying for LEED, mm-hmm. um, which is a, that's which more is of a, a process thing. Okay. Um, what we're doing here is we're, we're um, all of our buildings are uh, as energy efficient as possible, yet they're still pleasant to live in. Um, one, of, one of these, um, I guess one of the, t- one of the, uh, Let's see. Aesthetic features that fits in that in that area would be um, using no VOC paint inside. Hmm. It doesn't off gas. It's mm-hmm. healthy, mm-hmm. Um, and it's healthy for the environment as well. 
and composting toilets. I mean, I, I think of composting <laughs> yeah. toilets, you know, for the individual household. But you're, you're fascinated. <laughs> you're, you know, but you're doing this for a whole dormitory. Yeah, we um, the dormitories. Each dormitory living unit has a uh, composting toilet in it. So um, all the human waste is fed down into that composting unit, and it, um, it which saves a lot of water, saves a lot of energy. Um, uh, and what we can re- do with that waste is once it's it's recycled and it's it's safe, we can um, we can reuse that. Great. Well, thanks to both of you for being with us to talk about what communities are doing to go green. We've come to that time when I want to remind you that this program was produced with support from Cooperative Extension and the Hancock County Extension Association. With offices in each county, Cooperative Extension is the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine. Our radio collaboration with WERU began in 1990 and continues with your support. Join us on the second and fourth Fridays of each month for Talk of the Towns. Our theme music is a medley from Coronach on a Balmain House Highland Music recording. Thanks again to our guests in the studio, Sharon Malm of the Bar Harbor Chamber of Commerce and Leland Moore of College of the Atlantic. Thanks to Amanda Ravenhill and Barb Fernal, both working on sustainability issues. There it goes. Um, on Cranberry Isles and... Um, Bob Shafto of the Maine Association of Conservation Commissions. Uh, thanks to those of you who called in. Thanks to our underwriters. Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program. And stay tuned for On the Wing. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning. Good morning.